Good morning and welcome to our service today. We're so thankful that you're here. If you look over here on this side, we have a lot of empty spaces as well as on this side as well. We do have a number of visitors, but there are about 70 from Midway who have gone up to Nashville. And so we still have the majority of those folks who are up there and they would normally be here. And so we'd have a pretty good building full if it were not the fact that they were up there. But we appreciate everyone who is here today. Especially those who are a guest, we want you to know that you're always welcome here. Many of you have asked about the thing that we're doing at FET today. I'll be speaking at the Civic Center in FET, the City Civic Center, and uh, that'll be at 2 o'clock. Some have asked, well, how was I going to be here and speak at Midway and still speak there at 10? Well, that was never the uh, plan. I'm supposed to just be one of the speakers, and my time is at 2 o'clock, but we'll look forward to being there. I'll be leaving shortly after we finish here, and then... Be back, and Lord willing, in time for our evening service this afternoon. So we invite you to be back with us at 5 o'clock. You know, when I was just a little boy, one of my favorite songs was Salvation Has Been Brought Down. It was number 650 in the old Sacred Selection songbook. And, and I loved that song because of one thing back then. I loved that song because it had those strong bass leads. I don't know how many of you have heard that song. Some of our young folks may not have heard the song, but I loved it because you had those strong bass leads. And that, that's what really impressed me when I was a young child, you know, just a little boy. I appreciate that song a whole lot more now, not because of the bass leads. Now, let me just say I still like the bass leads in there. I still love to hear it and sing it when, I, when, we, when someone does lead that song somewhere, different places. But, but I appreciate what the song says. Salvation has been brought down, and salvation was brought down by Jesus Christ our Lord. In the book of Matthew chapter 1 at verse 21, when the angel came to Mary, the Bible talks about how that she would bear a son, they would call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. When baby Jesus was taken to the, to the temple to be presented there at the temple, according to the book of Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32, there was an older man who was there by the name of Simeon. The Bible says God had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the salvation of the Lord come. And the Bible talks about how si or Simeon rather makes the, the statement how, how God could allow him now to go in peace because he had indeed seen the salvation that the Lord had sent down uh, to reach out to the Gentiles and to be a glory for Israel. And so the Bible speaks about salvation having been brought down, having been brought down by Jesus. We know the passage in the book of Luke chapter 19 at verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. I want us to understand this morning that God does have a plan of salvation for all to follow. God's plan that he reveals to us in the New Testament is not just for some people, it's not just for a few people, it's not one thing for one group and a different thing for another group. God has a plan of salvation for all of us to obey. In the book of Acts chapter 15, at verse number 19, Peter is talking and he talks about how that he had been to the house of Cornelius and, and how while he was there that God had allowed them to have salvation. But the point that I want to make from Acts chapter 15 is what Peter says in regard to the Jews and the Gentiles. He said, God made no distinction between them. 
He saved the Gentiles just as he saved the Jews in the exact same way. And today, anyone who will be saved will be saved by God's plan of salvation, not by their own, not by something that they've made up, not by something that some preacher has conjured up in his mind or some council has come uh, to uh, gather to, to put forth. Our salvation comes from God's plan of salvation. Now, there are some things in God's plan of salvation that we need to remember. The Bible teaches us that God's plan says that one must hear the gospel. Somebody says, preacher, that's a strange thing to hear. Somebody has already heard the gospel, and you look at them and tell them they need to hear the gospel. That doesn't really make sense. Well, yes, it does, because I don't know if you realize it or not, but you can hear without hearing. You can hear without hearing. You may be hearing my voice this morning, but you're somewhere hunting Easter eggs. You know, you may already have checked out. You may, may not be thinking about what is being said. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 9, at verse number 27, it talks about some who uh, had heard, but they would not listen. Uh, that is, they would not heed what had been said. They would not pay attention to what had been said. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 18 and following, the Bible speaks about how that, that Israel had heard from God, but they did not understand. And so when we look, we understand that hearing is more than just having some audible sounds that approach our eardrums and, and the waves, you know, make their way up to our brain and know, we know that we've heard a noise. It involves heeding and understanding, or you might turn that around, understanding and then heeding what has been said. So no wonder then, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 at verse number 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not only does God's plan of salvation say that one must hear, but it also says that one must believe. When it comes to that idea of, uh, of hearing the gospel, is it something that we find credible, that we would actually take into our being and believe it, that it is the truth, that it is something that one needs to remember? In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 at verse number 6, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him. It, to please who? To please God. For the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. In the book of John, chapter 8, at verse 24, Jesus himself said, I told you that you would die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so we must believe the gospel, we must believe that Jesus Christ came, that he died for us, that he is indeed the Son of God. But God's plan of salvation also teaches us that we must repent. Repent of the sins that we have in our life. Do you realize that in Luke's account of the Great Commission, that he is the one who speaks about repentance, and that's talked about in other passages, but in Luke's account of the Great Commission, the Bible says, beginning in verse 46, going through verse 47 of chapter 24, he said, uh, he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus himself would say in Luke chapter 13 at verse 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise 
perish. And so repentance. But then number four, God's plan says that one must confess the name of Jesus before men. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, because, I, uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 10 at verse 32, So everyone, reading from the English Standard, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, him will I also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. You know, the thing about it is, the word that's translated acknowledge in the English Standard here in the book of Matthew chapter 10 at verse 32 is the same word that's translated confess over in the book of Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. And so the King James and the New King James, rather than using the word acknowledge, they actually use the word confess. But he goes on in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 10 and says, If we deny him before men, then he will deny us before the Father who is in heaven. And so confession is a part of our salvation. But God's plan of salvation says that one must be baptized. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Peter said much the same thing on the day of Pentecost, except he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so baptism is a part of our salvation. But then it doesn't stop there. God's plan says that one must be faithful. Be faithful in his life, in his uh, 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 actions toward God and toward mankind. Acts chapter 11 at verse 23. The Bible says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. We can't expect our sins to be washed away, leave the church building and do exactly like we've been doing before. To sin and do anything that we wanted to do, we have to have changed our life and be faithful to God. In the book of Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, John wrote and said, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You'll be tested for ten days. You'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. And so there's the idea, the concept of being faithful after our baptism. You know, occasionally, Jesus was asked, what, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? He was asked that question, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 18, at verse number 18. What, what do I need to do? And you know, it's obvious that if you turn to those passages... You're not going to find Jesus saying to these people, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and then be faithful. But, but what I want us to do for the remaining portion of our lesson today is consider what Jesus did. You see, what Jesus did was share with them some principles that uh, they needed to hear about salvation that are still true today for every single one of us. And so let's take just a moment this morning, the time that we have remaining, to, to look at a couple of those things and, and to see actually what Jesus is teaching 
when he teaches these lessons. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn over there. In Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, lawyer stood up. He asked Jesus. He was trying to test him. said, Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply looked at him and said, What's written in the law? He asked him a question. He turned it around. And not only what is written in the law, but how do you read it? What's your understanding of it? And the man replied, he said, uh, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus replied, simply said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You know, this lawyer, and he, he was not a, a lawyer from the standpoint of one who would go to court and defend a murderer, but he was a lawyer. When the Bible speaks of lawyers, it's talking about those who know the Old Testament law. You see, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch is called the books of law in the Old Testament. And so they were studied in that part of the Word of God. And so it's no wonder then that, that this man would, would quote from those books. He quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse number 5. He quoted from the book of Leviticus chapter 19 at verse number 18. And he said, these are the things to love God and love your fellow man. But focus for just a minute on verse 28. What Jesus said, you have answered correctly. You're right. And then Jesus added to that, do this and you will live. You know, what Jesus is saying there is simply this. Jesus says that to have salvation, we must do what God says. Amen. Must do what God says. You know, that's a very simple concept, isn't it? This do, and you will be saved. You will have inherit eternal life. Do what God says. Now let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about it. And we're going to talk about it. Why was Jesus baptized? Now we've already seen in our lesson, the Bible talks about how that we're to be baptized for the remission of our sins. But why was Jesus baptized? Think about that for, for a minute. You know, when we go to the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we read the story of Jesus' baptism. We, we understand that Jesus had gone out to John the uh, baptizer and he had asked him to baptize him. Uh, but I want you to look especially at verses uh, 16 and following, Matthew chapter thir- uh, 3, verses 16 and following. The Bible says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There is a purpose, there is a reason that is given for us here. You know, when when we think about it, and we, we go and we look at what the Bible tells us about John and his baptism and where it came from, that it was from God and not from mankind. And when we go to all of the accounts of Jesus and, and his baptism by John, 
uh, we're left with a conclusion that uh, that's found basically in in the book of Matthew chapter uh, three at verse uh, fourteen or fifteen rather, where Jesus talks to John and says, "Let it be so for now, for it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." We've got to do what's right. We've got to do what's right. You know what righteousness, fulfilling righteousness is all about? Well, I think we can understand it if we look at some passages. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible talks about John's parents. And it says they were both righteous. Well, why were they righteous? Well, he goes on in verse number 6 of Luke chapter 1. Because they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of God, of the Lord. They were righteous because they did what God said. The psalmist has said long before, he said, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Doing what God says. And you see, one reason that Jesus was baptized was that God said to he sent John to prepare the way, but when he sent him, he gave him a message of repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. And God said, do it. And God's son did it. One reason is that he had to be baptized. You know, Jesus didn't have a single sin, did he? He was, he was sin, sinless. He, he was blameless. You know, when we read in the book of Acts chapter 22 at verse 16, when, when Saul was with Ananias, Ananias told Saul, what hinders you? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. But Jesus didn't have any sins to wash away. Jesus never had a single one. But you know what? He did have to obey his father. He did have to obey his father. Because he obeyed his father, he became the author of eternal salvation, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 5. And so, he had to obey his father. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 48, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius. And he commanded those at Cornelius' house to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what they did. But add to that this one other thing. In the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, I wish you'd take time to read that passage very carefully. John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. I want to just point out, for the sake of time this morning, verse number 31. John looks at Jesus as Jesus is passing by. He's pointing him out. And he said, I myself did not know him. You see, at some point, John did not know that it was his cousin Jesus who was the Son of God. Now, we read how when John was in the womb and Mary came to visit her cousin Elizabeth, that, that baby John in the womb, he leaped with joy, he leaped within the womb. But that didn't mean he fully understood. He was simply in the presence of, of God's Son at that point and the baby reacted. John said, I did not know him. They were, at some point, John did not know that it was cousin Jesus who was to be the Son of God. But you know what? If you keep reading in John chapter 1, you drop on down to verse 32, and he said, I, John, bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. 
and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he sent me to baptize with water. Uh, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then it's verse 34 that I want you to pay close attention to. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Do you remember what we read in the book of Matthew chapter 3? When that Spirit descended and it stayed on Jesus, the Bible says there was a voice from heaven which said, What? This is my Son. You know what? That day John knew exactly who the Son of God was. God identified him after this baptism. Now why are, why are we talking about Jesus? Well, folks, here's the point. It's at the point of baptism that we're, that we're identified as a son or daughter, if you will, of God. Look in your Bible at the book of Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And then he goes on in verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're, we're, in Christ, we're, we're sons of God in Christ by faith. But there's one word that I want you to focus on for just a moment this morning. It's the first word of verse number 27. It's a small word, three letters. We say it all the time, four. F-O-R. If you were reading that in the original language, it would still be only three letters. It wouldn't be F-O-R, it'd simply be G-A-R. And that word is a primary particle assigning a reason, an explanation, or an intensification. That's what the, the little word gar for does. It, it's... A re what's the reason that we're the sons of God? For the reason is, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Just as Jesus had the voice from heaven proclaim Him to be the Son of God after His baptism, we're proclaimed to be the sons of God after ours. Wow. But that's because we're obeying our Father. We're doing what God has, to say, has, us, has told us to do. And so Jesus said for us to have salvation. You know, when He's talking to this man, this man comes, what I need to do to inherit eternal life? What does the Bible say? The Bible said, love God, love your fellow man. Jesus says, you've done right. Jesus said, do it. And you'll have eternal life. Do what God says. Jesus said we have to obey to have salvation. We have to obey our God. Very quickly this morning, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Another gentleman said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what Jesus said to him? He says, you know the commandments. You know what God said. 
And the commandments that he talks about are those Old Testament Ten Commandments because this young man was was living under the Old Testament law. And that simply said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. The young man replied, teacher, I've done this all the days from my youth up. And then Jesus... He said, uh, there's one more thing that you need to do. One thing you lack. What is it, Lord? Go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Boy, that was hard. Do you know what? Jesus didn't ask this rich man to do any more than what others had voluntarily already done. They'd already voluntarily done that. They were were volunteers. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, at verse number uh, 2, a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a little short guy, he was a chief tax collector, the Bible said. The Bible also says he was very rich. And when you look down to verse number 8, after Jesus had visited his house, and this man had decided to follow Jesus, Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I give it back to them fourfold. Did God, did Jesus tell him he had to do that? Don't have a record of it. It seems that Zacchaeus volunteered to do that. That's what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 45. The Bible says about the first century Christians that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, that was voluntary. How do I know that? I read chapter 5 of the book of Acts. When, when Ananias and his wife, uh, Sapphira, when they, when they sold their property and decided to lie, the question or the statement was made, while it was yours, I mean, while it remained, was it not yours? Could you not do what you wanted to with it? Sometimes we focus on this idea of, uh, uh, of, you know, getting rid of the things that, 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 we, that we have. There, there have been whole religious movements that said in order to be a Christian, the only thing you could be is a poor Christian. You had to get rid of everything that you have. Well, folks, we miss the point if we focus only on this last part about being rich. And this young man not being willing to sell what he had and give it to the poor. Peter even says, we've left everything and followed you. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. I mean, same context. They heard it. Folks, Jesus is not talking about how much we're worth. He's talking about what is worth the most to us. What is worth the most to you? Your life here on this earth? Things that you have? Possessions? Family ties? Or God? What's worth more? Folks, nothing or no one can be more important to us than our desire to be saved. 
That's what Jesus is teaching this young man. That's what he's telling him. See, God is to have first place in our life. And Jesus knew that God was not going to be first place in this young man's life. What he owned, his money, making more of it probably, was going to be first place in his life. Jesus said if you want to have salvation, then God has to take the the right priority. I've known a lot of people who'd give you the very shirt off their back, haven't you? Who'd do anything in the world for you. But they they won't obey God because it might make Mama wrong. Mama taught me this, and and if I obey the gospel, then then I just I'd be making her wrong. They'd do anything in the world for you, give you anything that they've got. You see, Jesus' point is not how much we have or don't have. It's nothing or no one can be more important to us than our salvation. As we close our lesson this morning, I want us to think about what is said in the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, well, let me just begin with verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The word translated strive there is the word from which we get our word agonize. Literally, he's saying agonize to enter into this narrow gate, this narrow door. Agonize. You know, that's what Paul did. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Uh, that's the word, agonizomai, agonize. That's what Jesus says that a person must do to enter through the narrow door. And then later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul said, that's exactly what I have done. I have fought the good fight. I have agonizomai. I've agonized in my life to do what God wants. And therefore, there's a crown of life that's laid up for me. Not for me only, but for all those who have loved His appearing. And then not only does it say strive, but there's a word few. Are there there few who are going to be saved, Lord? Few. Well, in comparison to the entire population of the world, there will be a few. Even in the days of the first century, in Revelation chapter 3 at verse 4, there, there, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus has John to write to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and, and he gives them instructions and points out some things that they were doing wrong. And, and to this church, particular in Revelation chapter 3, in the church at Sardis, he said, I have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they're worthy. And the rest, even within the congregation of the church there, they had forsaken the Lord. 
few. Few. In, in the book of Luke chapter 2 at verse number 10, the Bible talks about how the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, it may be that few are being saved because there are only few who are reaching out to them. Perhaps fewer are being saved because we only have a few who are reaching out. What I want to encourage of you this morning is this. Don't make the number saved fewer than it has to be. Don't make it fewer than it has to be. What about your life? Are you yourself doing what Jesus said to do, striving to enter through the narrow door, agonizing yourself to enter? Are you doing that? It's not always easy to live the Christian life. It's not always popular. And yet, there are some who will, and they will be rewarded. And the only one who has control over your life is you. I can't make you. The Lord is not going to make you. He's given you the opportunity, and He's made it possible. He's made the door and He said you can enter it. And He's given us the way. He's given us the plan of salvation to make it there. But are we willing to put ourselves through what it takes to believe, repent, confess, be baptized, to live a faithful Christian life, to be obedient to God, putting Him first above all others and everything else that we have? Many people... Many, many people don't want to do that. There are few who will. And I am praying that you're one of them. It may be this morning that you have never obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. And you want to do that today. We're here for you and we'd love to assist you in whatever way that, that you need. We'd love to baptize you into Christ. If that's what you need today. Know what you want to do. It may be today that you have started out on your journey with Christ, but you have strayed away. You, you've turned away from Him, and you need to come back to Him. You need the prayers of the church and the forgiveness of God. If we can assist you in any way today, why don't you come?